Wholesaling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. Now, it's time to go deep for the exclusive info you need on the hockey team you love. This is Preds Insiders with your host, Ryan Porth. Brought to you by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry, Wyatt Johnson Ford, Gary Zire, Remax Elite, and Geno's East. On your flagship home of the Predators Radio Network, Smashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. Welcome into a Monday edition of Preds Insiders right here on ESPN 1025 The Game, streaming on the Game National app. Ryan Porth in studio this evening with a special guest. Stu Grimson, former Predators player and broadcaster, now with the NHL Network. Stu, I know you have a a new book coming out here in the next uh, week or so, and we will be getting to that here later on in the show. But great to see you. Thanks for stopping by. How you been? I've been exceptional. I've been really good. I don't deserve this life. I'm having the time of my life. I really am. <laughs> I uh, It's been a great fit. You know, the NHL Network has been a really nice spot for me to land i've really enjoyed the format ryan you know of course i'm not up there every week i'm up there kind of every other week i'll land about i'll work about 80 dates again this year it's a really nice rhythm of every week during the hockey season sorry other week i go up for four or so days at a time give or take one and uh, it's just a it's a great environment and an opportunity a little bit like this it's more expansive than a a live hockey broadcast you get a chance to talk a little bit at more length about the things you're seeing in the game and i really like that format i work with great people i'm having a ball yeah we do a lot of work with nhl network on our shows sure. and we you know everyone including yourself just fantastic to work with cool to see you on tv as much as you have been and that is a little bit of a different world where you're not calling a game you're commenting on a lot of different games all at once and yeah almost two eyes aren't enough sometimes no you're exactly right and and you know it's got kind of there's a give and a take there's an upside and a downside to to that format i love that there's extra space to develop you know hockey issues that relate to just about any team in the league that's uh that's a real buzz but you've got to, you know, kind of keep up uh, with the league. There's a lot going on, and um, I, I, I really do find that to be a challenge. I enjoy it. I will say the one thing I miss about not covering one team specifically, like my days with the Preds, there's nothing like being there day in, day out to really develop a narrative on all these these key stories that are always evolving over the course of the season. There's no way to get to know a team uh, quite that way. So I, I do miss that. But again, that's, you know, that that's not practical where you're covering covering the entire league. So. Absolutely. And just being inundated with a team day in and day out like you were back when they yeah. made it all the way to the, to the Stanley Cup final that season. Yeah. You know, the, that payoff of following the team throughout the whole season, seeing where it goes. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the rewards of of covering and being around a team every single oh, day. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's emotional payoff for that too. You know, you get to know all these players, you get to know their stories, you see them fail, you see them succeed, and then when they have a moment like that, you know, it's it's hard not to get wrapped up in it and just feel just feel, you know, just really exceptionally strong for them. So, through two games the Nashville Predators are one and one. Thursday night season opener, they smoked the Minnesota Wild in the third period when 5-2 and then Saturday night against Detroit, they lose 5-3, back-and-forth game. Kind of different 
different punches like a like a, a fight in a yeah, ring. You know, yeah. Detroit throws a punch in the first period with two goals. The Preds respond with two goals of their own in the second period, and then Detroit skates away with the five three win. And it was, I think, a disappointing start to that entire locker room. And Matias Ekholm, I think, said it best after the game Saturday night. We uh, we could have been better in the first for sure. I think we kind of lost the game there. Um, if we can keep that to an even score, I think we have this game. But uh, obviously, they, their first game, they had some excitement, some jump to it. And then we couldn't really match it in the first. Um, can't happen in our barn on a Saturday night. But uh, it happened. And we fought back. I thought the, the guys showed some, some courage with that. We, we came back in the second. We played a lot better. Um, going into the third, we had a good feeling. I thought we played uh, all right. I think we can clean up a little bit defensively. I think we, we're getting the chances we want, but um, we can't give up the, the point-blank chances that they're getting. So um, we could have for sure been better tonight, but I think the, overall they maybe deserved this one. So that was Matias Ekholm postgame Saturday night after the Preds' 5-3 loss to Detroit. And after the game, Stu, I'm sitting there thinking, man, this Preds team cannot beat Detroit. In the yeah. last 11 games, head-to-head against Detroit, the, Pre- the the Red Wings have won 10 of them Yeah, since Peter LaViolette took over. And then you see the next night, last night, Detroit come back on Dallas and yeah. Anthony Mantha scores four goals, and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe this team's going to be maybe a, a little better yeah. than they have been the last few years. You know, I, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, several things to, to say about that. I mean, I appreciate Matias's comments because this really is a – you know, a veteran team, a team that the Nashville squad uh, I reference is is a team that's uh, really improved on paper, adding Duchesne, and and I think has improved organically as well. I think we're going to see you know more from guys that have been on this roster now, going on three years and four years, uh, well into La- the Laviolette administration. So you know, I think his comments are really wrapped around we should play a far more consistent brand of hockey. And that's not just game to game. That's period to period inside of the context of any one NHL game. So I think that's in part where Maddie's frustrations come from. And it makes great sense. You know, this is a guy that really has been there from the start. It expects that this group um, or, or I think aspires to hold this group to a, a higher standard, and that makes good sense because they really do have that kind of that kind of personnel. But uh, the the Red Wings, on the other hand, you know, I, I don't know that. I guess the point I want to make is I think what we're seeing is a little early season enthusiasm and a team with a bit of a chip on its shoulder insofar as hey we haven't fared well in the past you know we do have some offense we can be there are elements of our roster our lineup that are fairly dangerous top line specifically the likes of Larkin and and, uh, and Mantha and people like that but in terms of the long-term success I don't know if we're going to see the Detroit Red Wings compete for a playoff spot uh, you know, in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, they may, the fortunes just may have aligned for them on this particular night, I think. Well, and the Red Wings had that additional adrenaline of Saturday night being their first game yeah. of their NHL season where the Preds already got that out of the way. And you yeah. saw the, the benefits of that adrenaline for them Thursday night yeah. against Minnesota. But you, met, you, you said something, you, you kind of quickly mentioned Matt Duchesne. And Matt Duchesne through two games has five assists, which yeah. he's on pace for 205 points. That would be a record for the Nashville Predators. Yeah. No one's ever sniffed 100, let mm-hmm. alone 205. That's not going to happen. By the way, Wayne Gretzky had four seasons of 205 points or more. 
which he, he is was all, unheard of. He was all right. He was all right. Exceptional talent and a uh, an exceptional era. You know, it'd be fun. I know we're not having this conversation right here and now, but let me insert this. It would be interesting to see Wayne Gretzky in this era of hockey. Defenders defend better. Goaltenders are bigger, faster, more athletic. Would Wayne put up those totals? Probably not to that level. It was a far more wide open era in the game. Uh, but I think still think he'd be head and shoulders above the rest. Do you think he'd be in that 130 to 140 point range in his best seasons and not around the 200 very, mark? I think very possibly. I think very possibly. Given the right set of circumstances, remember, you got to put some exceptional athletes around him. Do you have the payroll? Have you kind of managed your roster, um, you know, from a, from an operations point of view to, to put Wayne in that kind of a context? A, a lot of things need to come into play, but yeah, in a vacuum, I, I think so. Matt Duchesne with Philip Forsberg. Why is that such a potent one-two combo this early in the season? You know, I've talked with some folks around the team a good bit like this. The little I've seen them play, I I think the dynamic is successful for this reason. There aren't a lot of players in the NHL. You could probably make a basket of 20 to 30 guys-ish that are capable of generating offense all by themselves. You know, guys that will get a defender uh, or a defense core kind of backed off just because they have the hand skills, they have the creativity, they have the foot speed to really hurt you if you don't give them a little buffer. Uh, I would put both Forsberg and Duchesne in that caliber of, of person. The point I'm making is, Ryan, if Stu Grimson stepped on the ice or, you know, no disrespect to, to any other Ham and Ager out there, but somebody that was just a little more, you know, average in terms of their skill set, defenders can play those people a little bit tighter. It's easy to suppress offense where those guys are concerned. So when you pair a couple of guys who seem to have a little bit of chemistry between them right out of the gate in Duchesne and Forsberg – and the decor on the other uh, on the other side has to offer them, provide them a little bit more space because they could get burnt in any given circumstance. It seems to allow uh, a dynamic or 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 lead to a dynamic where these guys um, these guys are able to to kind of to to create a lot of dangerous offense as they operate together. And when I look at Matt Duchesne, and it's only two games. I don't want to overreact yeah but when looking at Matt Duchesne in these first two games I'm sitting back asking myself is he going to have a bigger impact on this team than I may have expected because I think depth chart wise throughout the summer everyone thought okay Jofa they're going to stay the same Matt Duchesne with maybe Craig Smith and Mikhail Granlund well the fact that Peter Laviolette has spread the wealth and put Forsberg with Duchesne and Mikhail Granlund seems to have this fresh start about him rather than the player that we saw after the the trade deadline last year. This top six is a potent top six compared to maybe years past when they were too reliant on Jofa. Yeah. You know, a couple of things to say about that, and I like where you're kind of taking this part of the conversation. Number one, I would say, if you look at some of the best teams, certainly the way their forward core is built – Of course, our forward lines are three people, but there's really kind of like a two-player nucleus to each of the really successful units out there. You know, you could go back and Bergeron, Marchand in the past. You know, those two kind of stay together as the Boston Bruins evolve over time. You've got Krejci and DeBrusque that form another uh, second, you know, kind of pairing of the that comprise the next line. 
Um, so the point I'm making is if you've now got a situation where it's Arvidsson and Johansson who have demonstrated great chemistry in the past, but you're pulling out of that Forsberg and you're giving him similar chemistry with a with a Duchesne, and you know, I don't want to downplay the impact that Craig Smith has on that top line, but over the course of the season, there might be a better fit. Maybe it's a Smith, maybe it's a tourist, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a yarn croak at some at some moment in the future. If things are, you know, stale, but that Arvidsson Johansson, that Duchesne Forsberg, that remains the nucleus of your top six on each of those two lines. That's that's the way I think you want to operate as much as you can over the course of a season. And that's what makes you truly dangerous. The second point I would make is, and, and you mentioned this early in your question, the impact that a Duchesne is having I've always valued Matt Duchesne as a real talent of the NHL, but now, for the first time in quite a while, he's part of a roster where he really wanted to be there. He believes he's a great fit, and he's in a he's in a, a community that I think he he has relished to be a part of for a good long while. the The elements are aligning, the worlds are aligning where Matt Duchesne is concerned. He's a great athlete. He's come in terrific condition. He brings a skill set that this team really needs. They needed to be deeper down the middle. They needed to be dangerous, more dangerous where their top six are concerned. Uh, He knows that. He's been able to provide that. And I think the point I'm making is, you know, I think you're getting Matt Duchesne plus what you've seen in the past. Now that he really relishes, you know, this environment, he's essentially created it and he's thriving in it. Coming up next, more with Stu, more with Stu Grimson plus one thing that I did like and one thing that I didn't like about the first two games for the Preds here last week. That's all coming up next. He's Stu Grimson of NHL Network, former Preds player and broadcaster. I'm Ryan Porth. You're listening to Preds Insiders on ESPN 1025 The Game, streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back in Preds Insiders, ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game Nashville app. Ryan Porth alongside Stu Grimson, the Grim Reaper of the NHL Network. Stu has a new book coming out. We will learn a lot more about that here coming up later on in the show. Preds Insiders brought to you Mondays and Wednesdays here on ESPN 1025, the game by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry. For all your dental needs, visit kellyerice.com. Nashville's number one Ford dealer, Wyatt Johnson Ford. Carrie Zire, Remax Elite, and Geno's East on the corner of 3rd Avenue and Korean Veterans Boulevard. Ryan Poor, Stu Grimson here with you. Stu, I want to get to the Roman Yossi extension that has not been signed yet here in a couple minutes. But first, one thing that I didn't like and one thing that I did like about the Preds' first two games. Let's start with the positive, the power play. This power play through two games, I feel like, is showing more urgency. It's one for four through two games. It hasn't been fantastic but when you compare it year to year, the urgency of this power play, all five players on the ice touched the puck before Saturday night's power play goal. And that power play goal happened within 10 seconds of the penalty being committed. The fact that they are moving the puck around at such an urgent pace and not just relying on the point shot from P.K. Subban like last year or Roman Yossi. I mean, they had a high volume of shots on the power play coming from the point and that made it way too predictable. And I kind of feel like now with Dan Lambert joining the coaching staff as an assistant coach, focusing on the power play now that they have Matt Duchesne on this roster, this power play is going to have a new fresh look and the, the results are going to be better. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and it's interesting, you know, um, 
you added some skill. You added uh, a dynamic player and a guy who has really proven his, uh, you know, his value in special team situation in a Matt Duchesne. But the odd thing, almost the counterintuitive thing to say, given his, you know, his skill set and that he brings a higher level of skill. At the same time, that seems to benefit them as they simplify their their power play because I I have noticed that as well. But that's something Laviolette has preached a good long while as part of this organization. So this organization rather. So so I think really there's probably a, a couple of things at at play in all this, Ryan. It's the fact that you know having a guy like Duchesne. He can disguise, he can send off false information about what he's about to do. So he's looking in one place, he's giving off a pass in quite another place. That creates time and space and a look in an open shooting lane for anybody receiving that puck. And I think it really works to this group's advantage at the end of the day. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how, how Duchesne's influence and contribution benefits this power play i'd really like to see them for a block of 20 games mm-hmm. and and be able to kind of compare and contrast numbers at at that time the one thing that i haven't liked about the first two games is something that i think we all feared going into the season and that is the third defense pair the third defense pair of dan hamus and yannick weber to me they've been a liability out there on the ice and i don't really know how you fix that because the in-house options aren't great matter when being a healthy scratch some of the options in milwaukee I just don't know how you fix that outside of Yannick Weber and Dan Hamus just playing better. I mean, yeah. collectively, those two have given up three of the the five five-on-five five goals that they've relinquished here in the, in the first two games together, and they just have to be better. Yeah, point blank. Yeah, and and I saw you know I I, I saw them struggle on nights that that Laviolette early has not you know has not had his matchup and hasn't been able to kind of let's just for lack of a better term shelter or protect them from a matchup um you know there've been there've been some breakdowns and there've been some chances against without without question again early to sound the alarm bell and um i i would agree with you these are two proud pros and i think they're both capable of better hockey i, I think for a good long while the preds have rolled out three solid pairings and for the most part um, almost without exception, you know, it, it doesn't really matter who you're seeing from night to night. Uh, from a defensive point of view, this group has been pretty capable at the end of the day. And for me, too, I was here early in the Matt Irwin, um, early in Matt Irwin's acquisition, and I, I just, I really, I fell in love and continue to feel strong about his brand of hockey. I feel like there's you know, there's there's a contribution from from Matt Irwin at some point too. We saw him play and play comfortably in a top four role, depending on the circumstances. It may have been a a Yossi injury in the past, but Matt Irwin is a very capable defender. Speaking of Yossi, I think a lot of people are surprised that we are here on October seventh, and Roman Yossi has not signed an extension. Yeah. He's obviously he has just begun the final season of his contract and. I think a lot of people, including myself, just expected it to be done by training camp, expected it to be done certainly before the regular season. But Adam Vinken was on Jared and the GM last week and kind of detailed why he isn't surprised Roman Yossi still has not signed that extension. My colleague at The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, reported on TSN last week that while the Predators are hoping to get Roman Yossi 
somewhere in the $8.5 million range, his side is looking for something that starts with a 9. So uh, I really do think, as you two were talking about beforehand, about the hometown discount, his last contract was definitely a hometown discount. Um, I think there are more than 80 defensemen this season who will have a larger cap hit than Roman Yossi's $4 million in the final year of his deal. By next season, he could easily be the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL behind Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty, which would put him somewhere in the 9 to $10 million range, most likely. That was Adam Vingen last week with Jared and the GM talking about Roman Yossi's status with a contract extension Stu are you surprised that he hasn't been re-signed yet well not not really okay um you know I I think there you know there remains a little contention uh and it and it kind of grows out of the circumstances you know I was around for Roman Yossi's last deal the genesis of Roman Yossi's last (laughs) deal and many of us were saying in year one when the ink was still wet Roman Yossi might just be the best of value for any top four defender in the business. And that goes back, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that six years of age? Seven. Seven years ago. It was a seven-year, $28 million <laughs> contract. So, you know, there, Roman Yossi has bided his time. He has waited patiently. And uh, this team has improved. And I think his game uh, has elevated. There, He makes a probably a broader contribution. And where's your C today? And I think this is uh, this is a guy that makes a really, really strong case for 2X plus of what he's making right now at $4 million. So I don't know that I'm surprised by that. But again, if, if Pierre Lebrun and, and that, um, his reporting is accurate, and I, I know Pierre to be a very, uh, to be very credible, in terms of what he what he uh, reports out, uh, the delta does not appear to be that that wide that we'll go an entire season and not see Roman ink a deal here. So uh, there's a lot at stake for both clubs. I, I you know for a guy like Roman, sure there there are other spots to land out there. There's there's no guarantee that you're going to be on a winner if you did change jerseys, you did jump to the other side of the fence. And, you know, assuming you get fair market value, I think Roman's going to recognize this is a great fit. And, of course, from the Preds' point of view, hey, this guy's been a fantastic value for a good long while. There are many, many nights, Ryan, just, you know, to close this point. From my point of view, and and this was certainly true early, and this goes even back to the days of when Shea was here, I I could argue, I think successfully, on many, many nights, Roman Yossi was, and still is today, the most valuable skater on the Predators roster. You might make an argument for a Forsberg. We'll see how Duchesne continues to impact the roster today. You could certainly, you know, look in those areas. Roman Yossi is a very consistent, plays a very dynamic brand of hockey on any night. Well, if you look at all the analytics, Roman Yossi is analytics an analytical darling. dream. Absolutely. Darling. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it feels like he would have a lot of the leverage yeah. in this negotiation or his agent would yeah. because they know the Predators cannot let him go. Yeah. They cannot let him walk, and they cannot afford to lose both him and P.K. Subban within 12 months of each other. Yeah. No, that and the fact that he is one of the top five to ten defensemen year in, 
year out. And like what we were just saying, he's one of the most valuable players on any roster in the National Hockey League. You know what would be a really interesting thing to do is to go back over those seven or so years. And if you could compare Roman Yossi's uh, defensive zone exits and offensive zone entries, just in terms of pure carries over the line, it would be interesting to compare him to the rest of the top four defenders in the league. And that's when you really begin to get, because, because that's not a bare look at goals, assists and plus minus and, 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 and points. But that to me helps communicate the true worth of a Roman Yossi. Cause there were many, many nights Willie and I would sit up there and we would watch this guy's Jersey flapping in the breeze. And it's yet another instance of Roman carrying from his own end into the offensive end, perhaps creating a scoring chance, but definitely getting that puck 200 feet from from Pecorine into the opposition zone, creating a situation where you know, you're turning momentum and creating offense at the other end. Coming up next, learn how you can win Pred Sharks tickets tomorrow night. That's on the other side. Plus, where Stu thinks the Predators stand compared to the rest of the division, the rest of the West, and the rest of the National Hockey League. That's all coming up next on Preds Insiders. Ryan Porth alongside Stu Grimson of the NHL Network on ESPN 1025 The Game, streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back into the show. Ryan Porth alongside Stu Grimson, former Preds player and broadcaster currently with the NHL Network. You'll learn a lot more about his new book coming up here next segment. First, your chance to win Preds Sharks tickets tomorrow at Pete and Terry's at Bridgestone Arena between 10 a.m. and 4.45 p.m. with Darren Donick and Chase from 10 to 2, and then Jared and the GM in the afternoons. If you want to go to that Pred Sharks game tomorrow night, your chance to win tickets is at Pete and Terry's tomorrow. Also, if you go to our Twitter page, at 1025thegame, you can learn details of how you can win tickets there. So big game tomorrow night, Pred Sharks, always a fun game when San Jose comes to town. Also, Wednesday, Smashville Live at Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, Kyle Turris and Dan Hamuse will be your player guests. I'll be there from 6 to 7 beforehand with Preds Insiders. Should be a lot of fun Wednesday night. Again, Smashville Live, 7 to 8 p.m. Wednesday night. Kyle Turris and Dan Hamuse will be joining Braden Gall and Hal Gill. Stu, with you being at the NHL Network, I kind of wanted to pick your brain on where you think the Preds stand Mm -hmm. within the entire, entire National Hockey League because I think some of us here can kind of be in this bubble of thinking of how the Preds play and how the Preds are and not have kind of this this national grasp of where the Predators stand within the entire league. Where do you think, going into this 2019-20 season, where would you kind of tier the Preds? Are they on that top tier with the likes of Tampa Bay and Toronto and some people would put Vegas there? I know I would. Is is Nashville in that category or are they – they kind of on tier two with the potential of going tier one. How do you kind of see it? Yeah, it's it's a great question. It really is. I think, you know, if you were asking me last year, I may have had a different answer for you. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but I, I don't know if I would put the Preds at this moment in time into that top tier of NHL teams. Now, having said that, they're without question the kind of club that could prove over the course of the season that they, you know, finish one or two in their division. And, you know, you know what the playoffs are like. You've been around this game long enough, Ryan, to know uh, if you hit April playing your best hockey of the year, the world's your oyster. You could surprise a lot of really, really good teams. 
I would think for for me, let me kind of describe it this way. I think that the 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 reason I I'm a wee bit guarded where the Preds are concerned. I continue to feel they're improving. They're a little more dynamic up front with the addition of Duchesne. I think they can probably compete and score with some of the better teams in the league, but I don't know that they're, you know, they're gonna outscore a, a Tampa Bay or a Toronto. A Toronto on any given night. And I, I think going into this year, I'm a little bit suspicious about the blue line, just in terms of the the top four that they roll out. And we've talked plenty on this broadcast already about the fact that you know you've got a, a, your concerns about the way the third pairing is playing. So. Uh, Fabro could win us all over. It's entirely possible that Fabro steps in, flourishes, and expands his role and takes a bold step forward in his development. Um, that that remains to be seen. That for me is is an important question. And then I think at goaltending, you're going to continue to get you know world class goaltending from Pekka and UC Saros. So for me, uh, I, I'm not there on. You know, that forward core, are they dynamic to the point where they compete with the, you know, top-tier teams in the league? And, you know, around the D core, let's be clear, and I wanted to make this point earlier, so I'm glad we've kind of circled back to this, but the Preds have really built credibility and built success around the strength of their blue line. Um, I don't disagree with the fact that P.K. Subban moves, I don't think you were getting a $9 million impact or contribution from a P.K. Subban. Having said that, you know, you still need to replace um, his his absence. There's a void there that beckons or, or calls for a top four contribution. Who's going to provide that? Right now, the spotlight's on Fabro, and that's the open question there. Well, here's how I would kind of kind of play devil's advocate to that is we have seen a lot of teams in the last decade, maybe in the last two decades that have won Stanley cups or gone deep with, with blue lines, less talented than this. Yeah. Than this. That's, group. that's very true. And that's not to minimize the PK Subban departure because that was a big loss when they did trade him to New Jersey. But I think this is what we're seeing early on. It's only two games, but the fact that, Kind of what we, de- you know, kind of debated earlier in the show of having Forsberg and Duchesne on one line, having Johansson and Arvidsson on another line, and they have balance in the top six, and they're not just relying on the top line to score 50 to 75% of their goals at even strength. You've got a, an offensive unit in the top six now that when they are firing on all cylinders, they can compete with a lot of teams. Maybe they're not Tampa Bay. Maybe they're not Colorado. Maybe not even Vegas. I think Vegas is being overlooked a little bit this season. I think they are. They have a wealth of talent on that roster. But yeah. But if this Preds team is firing on all cylinders offensively, yeah, I think they do have enough defensively to maybe get by a, another offensive-minded team. Where in the past, if you think yeah. about. The 2017 playoffs, they got ousted by Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had them beat up front, no question. Winnipeg, the next year, had them beat up front, Mm -hmm. no question. Mm -hmm. They've bounced it out a little bit more on the roster now, especially if you don't have to rely on just one line. I I agree with what you're saying. I'd make a couple of points. Okay. One is, you know, the teams that we've seen do that successfully – 
have top-tier talent like a Tampa Bay Lightning. And um, I'm, I'm still not all the way there in that the Preds are a team that can score their way through some problems. Okay. <laughs> Peter Laviolette would, would tell you, absolutely no way is that this team's identity. I don't want it, and I don't think we're built that way. So the point I'm making is if you're a team that is that dynamic up front – and, you know, we're, we're kind of simplifying things. It's probably a little more nuanced than this. But if you're somebody like Tampa Bay, you're built that way, you're used to playing that way, and you had last year Vasilevsky, a guy that bailed you out of a lot of jams. So the contrast, the, the comparison I make to the Preds, where the Preds are concerned, even if you accept that they are that dynamic, they're really not built to play that way. And I don't know if Pekka and Saros together are capable of winning as many games as a Vasilevsky did for these Tampa Bay Lightning last year. You talk to uh, some of the players, you talk to some of the people that follow that club, and there were, as, as talented as they were, there were many, many nights where their number one, the Tampa Bay Lightning, bailed them out of a lot of jams, papered over a lot of problems. So is it just simple sheer talent on the roster, or is it an identity change that they have to almost go through throughout this season and become that kind of offensive team and not just yeah. rely on defense? I think it ta- I think it takes a while to kind of, you know, become accustomed. It you've got to you've got to adopt and and be comfortable in a in a somewhat different identity. Again, I think that's probably oversimplifying it a little bit, but it, it it's entirely possible. You know, we we sit here uh, projecting and 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 speculating about the way it's going to shake out, it may shake out in an entirely different way for these Preds. At the end of the day, I think they're probably more talented up front than they were last year on paper. I think they perhaps, you know, let's just call it a subtract Subban, insert Fabro. Um, do they get the same caliber defender? Probably not. They might mm-hmm. be missing ten or twenty percent there. What does that ten or twenty percent mean to you over the course of an eighty-two game schedule? That for me kind of you know encapsulates the question. And and two factor into that. What does that trade-off mean for you in the offensive zone? And you know therein lies your answer. I if if that ends up being your top four for essentially the bulk of an eighty-two game schedule, we'll have our answer coming up next. Stu Grimson has a new book coming out. The Green Ripper. The- that works. That works. That might. That's actually going to be the follow-up book. It'll be The Green Ripper. I was thinking Grim Reader as the follow-up book, but Grin Ripper. I like that. The Grim <laughs> Reaper. We'll learn more about that coming up next year on Preds Insiders. ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back in Preds Insiders, ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game National app. Ryan Porth here on this Monday evening, joined by my very special guest, Stu Grimson, former Preds player and broadcaster now with the NHL Network. And Stu, you have a new book coming out October 15th that is coming up next Tuesday, and it is called The Grim Reaper. No, we've re- we've retitled it, actually. Just last-minute decision. It's The Green Stripper. I'm, I'm going with something different. I like your idea better. We're going Green Stripper. Okay, The, the Grim Reaper coming out next Tuesday, October 15th. New book. What can you tell our listeners about this book, this adventure you've gone down with with the book? You know, I, I'll tell your 
uh, listeners, uh, it's it's been a really interesting exercise. Something I would gladly do again. I think you hear a lot of people uh, that you know participate certainly in writing their own book uh, come out the other end and say never do it again. I, I would I would relish the opportunity. I really did enjoy it. And it took me a long time to kind of get my head around doing it. But, but at the end of the day, Ryan, I kind of came down to, and, and this, you know, really is the story. I took a very unconventional path to get to the NHL. I played a rather unique role while I was in the NHL, fairly identifiable. And then I've taken a, a, a different path uh, that most, most athletes do in, in leaving the game. I do a variety of things today, like lawyer, like hockey analyst, um, and, uh, you know, real estate investment and the list is, you know, kind of goes on. But um, when you do something for a long stretch of time, like I played professional hockey, and that, that applies to, you know, be a carpenter for 20 years, be a broadcaster for 20 years, be a be a, a doctor for 20 years. You learn things over time in your professional life and your personal life. Uh, they reveal a lot about you. And what I really relished in the opportunity to, to write a book was to just be able to share, you know, some of the insights and some of the things that I've learned, because I think they have application across a broad variety of of things that we do in our personal and professional lives. So one interesting tale in this story, you being scouted uh, out in front of a movie theater in British Columbia yeah. as a boy. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about that? So 15 years of age or so, 14 years of age, and my buddies and I, I'm living in Kamloops, British Columbia at the time. My buddies and I are, are in our football jackets. We're playing football during this season, so it was kind of fall. We're walking down Main Street, Kamloops, British Columbia. We're heading down to the movie theater. We're going to catch a movie. Kamloops was kind of, it was oil rigging country around this time. There was a lot of kind of out-of-town contractors uh, that worked just outside of Kamloops but came into the city on the weekends. And they were, you know, they were the rig guys. We called them, not so affectionately, rig pigs. But they just kind of <laughs> came in to, to blow off a little steam during the weekend. And so... It just so happened that on the other side of the street, following our similar path, uh, same direction, there's a handful of guys, these rig pigs. And it just so happened we ended up in front of the movie theater on the same corner. And these guys were, of course, kind of feeling it. They had a few beers under their belts, no doubt. And they started our football jacket said Sahali. That was the name of our high school. These guys are going off on us goading us Sahali sucks onions they're saying Sahali sucks onions well two or three of my buddies were kind of forming a ring right in front of these guys that were at these rig pigs that were antagonizing us I parted two sets of shoulders I waded into the middle and I just clocked one of these guys and it was it was on we started we started at it uh right in front of the movie theater Main Street Kamloops British Columbia as legend would have it the head scout for the Regina Pats of the WHL, my eventual junior team, was driving by the movie theater at this moment and sees me tearing a strip off. I mean, I'm like 14 years old. I'm fighting some 23, 24-year-old uh, rig worker and, you know, getting the better of him. So legend has it that about a week after that, we didn't have a draft for the WHL uh amateur system back then you just listed a player you simply listed a player and i ended up on the regina pats list within about a week or two weeks time but wow the legend goes that's that's how i was scouted 
put quotations around scouted. <laughs> that is pretty cool. And then bro- breaking into the NHL, you had a fight with Dave Brown. Yeah. Everybody kind of has their, you know, their welcome to the NHL moment. For me, you know, doing what I did, I recognized early in my career, I was breaking in with the Calgary Flames. Um, my counterpart, you know, the other heavyweight enforcer on the other, our greatest rival, the Edmonton Oilers, was a guy by the name of Dave Brown. He was several years older than me, had, you know, forged a career long before I got there. Brownie was a big, scary guy, the meanest, baddest, you know, human on the planet as far as me and, you know, the other guys that did that role were concerned. But I was just kind of cutting in, you know, cutting my teeth, breaking in with with Calgary. And I got called up to the front end of a home-and-home series back in the late 80s. And I knew at that moment, Ryan, if I was going to make it and stick in the NHL, the path to the NHL ran right through Dave Brown. So, Hmm. you know, early on in that game, we're out there like three or four minutes into it. And, you know, he and I end up shoulder to shoulder at a face off in the neutral zone. And I elbowed him in the chest as the puck drops and get his attention to let him know, Hey, you know, this has got to happen. I mean, my mouth was so dry. I could hardly find the saliva, muster up the saliva to spit, but (laughs) I knew I had to fight Brownie. So I elbow him in the chest. We get to it. Three or four left hands cut the air above my head, and I mean, I'm sure they would have taken my head off. Um, I figured I got to get busy. So I was able to kind of go left hand across my body and grab his left hand because that was the dangerous, that was the power hand. And I clocked him, just bang, bang, hit him right on the button. And lo and behold, I laid out the heavyweight champ of the NHL right there in that moment. It was Charles Dickens that said, these are the best of times, these are the worst of times. Because two nights later, on the back end of that home-and-home, Brownie came looking for me, and the result was a very different one. Fractured my orbital in three different places, broke my cheekbone under the eye, had total facial reconstructive surgery, emergency surgery, uh, about 24 hours after that happened. And it was a bad, bad beat. That's as bad a loss as you can suffer as an NHL enforcer or, uh, you know, an NHL heavyweight. And it really, it set me back on my heels. I eventually, you know, was able to put that behind me. Oddly enough, it ended up being kind of a a liberating uh, experience. You know, it's a hard role to play, but I kind of came to the conclusion, hey, if I can get through this, if I can yank myself up by my bootstraps and kind of get through this, I really don't have a lot left to fear. So it was kind of a, a liberating thing for me at the the end of the day professionally there's kind of a funny story let me just insert that comes on the back end of that when I got called up to play against the uh the Edmonton Oilers and I got banged up against Brownie in the in that fight that we had the second fight we had Mark Bureau was a teammate of mine from Salt Lake we played together in the minors we called him Frenchie back then Frenchie and I were living in the hotel at the same time so when I was in the hospital after my surgery he goes by my hotel room, gets my toiletries and some of my other personal effects. He's going to come by the hospital to kind of get my stuff. Well, I had seen myself earlier this day. This is like 12 hours, 14 hours after surgery. I couldn't even recognize myself. My mm. face was that disfigured. Frenchie takes one step into my hospital room. He looks at me and he starts crying. <laughs> he oh. starts crying on the spot. Ryan, I kid you not. I'm sitting, I'm reclining in my hospital bed. Mark Bureau is sitting in the chair beside me. I'm holding his hand in mine and I'm patting his hand going, Frenchie, it's okay. 
I'm going to be okay, Frenchie. It's okay. Wow. The point in that is if it's if it's bad enough that the hockey players are crying, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. No kidding, especially back then when fights were a whole lot more oh, common yeah. Yeah. than this day and age. Do you remember how many fights you you uh you had in your NHL career? You know, in my NHL career, I think it comes out at somewhere around 230 or so, 240 or so. So on hockeyfights.com, mm-hmm. it says 211. Oh, okay. That add sounds it. about right. Okay. You add in junior and the minor pros. Um, the, the writer in my book, Kevin Allen of USA Today, did a fantastic job writing this book. His research left us thinking, all told, junior, uh, minor pro, there were a couple of college fights mixed in there, and then major pro, uh, somewhere in the 300s, low 300s, mm-hmm. something like that. Wow. And hockeyfights.com lists your top rivals in fights. Do you know who your well, top competitor was? It would have to be Bob Prober because yeah. Proby and I, we fought each other 14 times. I didn't fight anybody more than I fought Proby, and the same is true of him <laughs> going the other way. Remember, he and I were on opposite sides of that great Chicago-Detroit series back in the days of the Chuck Norris division. Not the Norris, the Chuck Norris division. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff there. Where can people purchase this book starting next Tuesday. Hits bookstore shelves north of the border. You'd be able to get them in Indigo and all kind of related outlets, but anywhere in North America across the information superhighway, <laughs> World Wide Web. Called the internet. Yeah. Do we still call it the information superhighway? Go to Amazon. Look it up on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Grim Reaper, the life and career of a reluctant warrior. Um, it's probably worth a read. And- it's about that time where people can start thinking about uh, stocking stuffers and Holidays are things in the air, of the my like. Friend. Holidays are in the air. I was no at a question. store recently where there were Christmas dec- decorations out even before Halloween, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing to yourselves? But it that's just the nature of today's landscape, that Christmas is out in September. I would agree with you. This makes a terrific gift during the Christmas holiday season, but hey, here... If you accept that Halloween is a holiday, can you think of a better book than The Grim Reaper? There you go. I mean, if if you accept that this is a gift-giving season, Halloween, I mean, is there a better book than no. The Grim Reaper? No. And instead of Snickers, just put <laughs> Grim Reaper in the uh, in the bag of candy. Stu, great seeing you. You you look fantastic and continued success with NHL well, Network. It's very kind of you to say, and I've really enjoyed our time together, Ryan. You're doing a fantastic job. Great, great segments. Well, thank you, Stu. That's all for Preds Insiders this evening. Coming up next, it is the Rick Stockstill Show right here on ESPN 1025 The Game and streaming on the Game National app.